0: Hi, everyone. This is Anna from the Don't Mind Me podcast. Whether this is your first time listening or your 20th time, thank you. My prayer is that this podcast will encourage you, whether you are in a mountaintop season or in a valley season. Before we get into today's episode, I did want to ask you just two things. Number one, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it. Share with your friends, share with your neighbors. Share it with anyone that you think might be encouraged by it. And second, please, if you haven't already, go ahead and give us a five-star rating, as this will definitely just ensure that even more people will get to see it and listen to it. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Don't Mind Me podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Anna from the Don't Mind Me podcast, and I am very excited to be back. This is going to be my first episode of the year, so very, very exciting. Took a little bit of a break for a season there, but today I have uh, Julie, and is it Boyt? I think it's Julie Boyt. She's with me today on the podcast. Julie, go ahead and say hi to everybody.
1: Hello, everyone. Anna, (laughs) thanks for having me.
0: Of course. So, Julie and I, we just met. She's actually in Kenya, and I'll let her tell a little bit more about that, but um, I got connected with Julie through a friend of mine who um, periodically will send me um, some authors and things like that that maybe I could connect with and I might want to have on the show, and when I saw Julie's story, I immediately connected with it and really that she'd be a fantastic guest and i'm excited that she's also the first guest of the year i think that that's really significant and special and so julie i'd love for you to go ahead and tell everybody a little bit more about you sure so i have lived
1: in kenya in a village for nearly 20 years um 20 years this year. And I came as a single 25-year-old um, nurse practitioner coming to do work um, alongside of a community-based organization doing HIV work. And God had really put some put it in my heart um, just all that was going on around HIV um, in Sub-Saharan Africa. And I had connected with these just wonderful leaders who cared so deeply about their people and the suffering of the community and invited me, welcomed me to come and to be a part of a community mobilization uh, group that started visiting people with HIV in their homes. And over time, um, that's grown into an organization that I helped to lead called Living Room International, where we now have Two locations and hospital and hospice and do community work and we care for over a hundred thousand people a year now and uh it's just when I look back on the journey that God has had me on I just one I'm grateful that I didn't know the whole picture when I moved here you know I came here and. Felt the invitation to try to be faithful to what was in front of me, and um, with the community that I was moving into, and God has been so generous and faithful. I mean, that's who God is. But just to watch that um, step by step as we've followed, and um, there's a guiding question that we we ask is, "What does it look like to love in this situation?" As we come across all kinds of things. And just believing that as we lead, lean into love, that God will guide us and will guide our steps and actions and minds and hearts. And so that that's a little bit about my journey. Um, I am a wife and a mom to five kids and so blessed to be able to do that
0: too. Wow. So did you meet your husband in Kenya or how did that I happen? did.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I've been living in Kenya for eight years when I met my husband. His name's Titus, and he is Kenyan. And um we've been married for 12 years now. So
0: that is amazing. What a cool, cool story. Um, and five kids. I bet how what are their ages? Yeah, so
1: we have um one biological daughter, her name's Ella, and she is 10 and a half. And then we have, um, four, uh, there four biological or four, um, kids who are all siblings where the youngest came to us as a newborn baby when his mom had died in childbirth. Um, and so their ages now are seven, nine, um, 14 and 18. So has oh grown our family and, really powerful, incredible, unexpected ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And has, you know, like we just love, we love the kids that God has entrusted us to parents so much and know that, you know, for some of our kids, they came to us through loss um, and our love doesn't replace what they lost, but we do get to be a part of um, Mm -hmm. raising them and feel really grateful for the opportunity.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. That is so sweet. That's so sweet. Well, I guess, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your book that just came out, but before that, I do want to ask you just a few questions just to kind of, you know, um, so that I can understand and the listeners can understand, but what led you to Kenya? Had you visited there before? Was it just a, a prompting from the Holy Spirit? Tell me a bit more about how you ended up there.
1: So my junior year of nursing school, I went to Azusa Pacific University, which is a um, it's a liberal arts Christian school in Southern California. And my junior year, there was an opportunity to go on a short term mission trip. And a friend of mine didn't want to go to the information meeting by herself. And she asked if I would go with her. And I did. And I didn't actually anticipate that I would go on the trip that summer. But I went to that meeting and really felt led to apply. And so I ended up going on a trip in 2000 and my friend didn't come. Um, But uh, it was a really powerful experience. Um, The same village that I've lived in for all these years is where I came. And um, when I finished that trip, so I don't believe that we are Like, I I don't believe that we're responsible for things that we don't know, but I believe that as God allows us to see and know different things, that the accountability comes with that. And so it wasn't like a clear picture of, you know, I'm supposed to move to Kenya or something like that, but it was more of how, what do I do with what I've seen? What do I do with the things that I've um been allowed to to experience and began this journey of just asking God those questions. And so I finished nursing school and I began to work in HIV treatment in Los Angeles um, for mm-hmm. three years. I became a nurse practitioner. And so in 2004, I signed up to come for a year, maybe two, but definitely didn't imagine that it was going to be a 20 plus year journey. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like, like I said earlier that I mean, I'm grateful that God didn't show me a whole picture to begin with. It was more of like little invitations. And as I said, yes, to the thing in front of me and to the thing that I felt like God was inviting that little by little, um, I've gotten to understand more of his heart to understand more of like God's heart for the world and also for the person in front of me,
0: um, in just really powerful and tangible ways. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so you mentioned this question earlier. Um, but I really liked, you know, the question that you asked earlier. Really, what does it look like to love in this situation? And it sounds like that was, you know, when the Lord led you to go back to Kenya, it looks like you were asking yourself that question, you know, what do I do with what I saw here? You know, how what does it look like for me to love like he would in this situation? So can you talk a little bit about more about that question and maybe if you have a specific story or a few stories that you can share I mean how have you really seen that come into play
1: yeah so I'm not sure when when I first moved to Kenya I didn't articulate it necessarily like that I just felt invited and compelled and I came and then began working alongside just remarkable Kenyans who have been so hospitable and generous in um, mm. welcoming to be a part of a community and to be a part of a work that, you know, like, has required so much learning and listening and humility, um, and I think that you know, there are times, I mean, maybe for some people like following God, like he speaks to you in a way that it's very clear what you're supposed to do. But for us, I think it's been more of a journey of wanting to love, wanting to love God and the people around us in our neighborhood well. And, and so as we come into different situations that can be so tricky and so challenging, and there's not straightforward answers of, maybe how to help or how to respond to different needs we ask the question what does it look like to love here and sometimes that you know sometimes like when we're in a home and someone's praying for daily bread and it's a literal prayer you know the answer to loving might be to assist with food other times that may not be the case but like continuing to ask what does it look like to love as we go through our neighborhoods as we have patients who we we refer to our patients as guests because we want them to feel welcomed and and received with honor and so like as our guests come into the hospice like how what does it look like to love in this situation and so from day to day and moment by moment we believe like as we it's almost like the it's, it's almost like a prayer like what does love look like because like the bible verse that says um you know do not love with words alone but with actions. Like how do we respond with our actions that will reflect the love of Jesus? Because many of the people that come into our spaces, so much of life has told them that they're not of value or they're not of worth, or maybe, you know, their life situations, their disease is not have a good prognosis. And so they've been sick and in so much pain. So sometimes love is pain medicine. Sometimes love is Like someone who can no longer feed themselves, like us helping to feed them or to bathe them or to change a dressing or, you know, like really tangible ways. But, you know, one of the things that I hope is that wherever I would be in the world and whatever God might lead me into, that that same guiding question that I would continue to ask it, you know, like I feel like some of our work, you know, it's extreme cases and it's dire situations, but Know wherever we are, like there's an opportunity one, like to receive the love of God that's not just for us to give, but also like what does it look like to love myself in this situation? Like, are there moments where I need to step outside and to go for a walk and to look for birds? Um, to be reminded that if God cares for the birds, that he takes care of me Mm -hmm. and these people that I love. And you know, so just leaning into the question, believing as we ask it that God will honor that and God will reveal little by little. And so it's not so much that we have a certainty of this is the right or wrong thing to do, but it's mm-hmm. just, I'm going to lean into this and trust that love, like the love of God, will guide us to little by little. And
0: um, sometimes
1: mm-hmm. there's rooting, but <laughs> um, I feel like there's a
0: grace in that. I absolutely love kind of how you explain that because as you were talking, I kept thinking that. You know, sometimes we have in our minds what it looks like to love people well in certain situations, but it's important to ask the Lord, you know, what does it look like for us to love? Well, like, how do you want us to love someone? You know, we can often think, you know, maybe money would be the best thing to give them in the situation or, um, or, you know, I need to give them this medication or I need to give them this, Where it could be that other needs you know, even more so are the way that you best can love that person. You know, everybody also receives love differently. So you have to think about that too.
1: So there was a patient once, um, this beautiful guest, she was towards the end of her life and she was experiencing a lot of anxiety and we were doing rounds and we came into her space and we asked her, you know, because she was having so much anxiety if she felt like she needed medication and she's like, no, I need to sing. And so she began to sing in Swahili, a hymn that, you know, was translated from English that says, you know, I hope it's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And she just started singing, like for her, that's what she needed in that moment. And so us joining in the singing was part mm-hmm. of what love looked like, you know, and so I feel like there's a thousand
0: and one examples
1: of that of exactly what you're saying of even i can come into a space and feel like this is what's needed but as we listen and learn and try to walk with humility the ways that god will reveal ways that we can we can love and i think like within community has been such a huge part of this journey where it's not me alone it's i mean none of us are the savior like god is our savior and so how do we you know, be, have a willingness um, to come alongside suffering, but to trust that God is already in the middle of that. And so we're a community that's well-practiced in weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice and walking, you know, as much as possible with the vulnerability that it's not just about what we give, but also what God wants to give us and how do we receive um, in that journey too.
0: And that's so good. And I feel like, you know, this is so applicable to people because I know that you are you're in a situation where you're really faced with unique situations that many of us here in the United States are not faced with every day. But that's such a good thing for us to remember, like even as people here are um, really anywhere around the world are going through difficult things. You know, we have to, like you said, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, you know, mourn with those who are mourning. Um, and I think it's so important to meet people where they are. And like you said, to recognize that we are not their savior, that God is, but that we can still walk alongside of them on their journey, whatever it looks like during that specific season that we get to be a part of their life. Or if we're a part of their lives for a long length of time, you know, looking at it as, How can we best walk with them through this specific season right now? How can I best love them right now? Um, I do want to ask you, Julie, tell me about your book that was just released. So tell me a little bit more about that. What led you to write it Um, and what specific things, you know, what are some of the the things that are in there that you'd want people to um, to hear a little bit about today?
1: So the book is called Brave Love, and it's about my journey um, of learning about courage and compassion and doing it within community. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the first editor who read it, she she said, I expected that there was going to be like a series of stories, you know, that your Kenyan patients who you have you know, help to nurse or whatever, that those stories would sit side by side. And she said, you know, what I didn't expect is that it was actually one story that's interwoven. That's like who you've become um, over all of these years of walking alongside of others, that it wasn't just a story about Betty, this beautiful person who I took care of or the child who was malnourished. It was like the the weaving together of these stories that are held together, um, by Mm. themes of courage and compassion. And, and then the other thing that I've not really, um, talked about yet is that for our kids, um, over the last seven years, three of our adopted kids have walked through like horrible chronic illness. And so Mm -hmm. we've spent, um, extensive periods of time in the hospital and in the States doing bone marrow transplants so that they could survive. And, um, and so the lens through which I see things now is not just as a nurse, but as a mother. And so the lens of motherhood has reshaped the way I think about patient care and the way that I walk alongside of other mothers who come in with their sick children. Like I just see so different because of the experience that I've had. And I'm, I like to point out that like in the middle of like a really, really dark season where we were in the hospital in the middle of my son, Ryan's transplant, we were in the ICU and he was so sick. And I didn't know if he was going to live another day. And, and a friend came and asked, um, asked me what Jesus was teaching me. And I said to her, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's teaching me anything, but what I know is that, god is good and his love isn't changing and that no matter what the outcomes like god's love will remain and so those were the things like i held on to like i didn't really know how to pray in that season so i i feel like sometimes we want there to be extra meaning out of suffering and for me it's more of like like I don't think within my theology that God needed my children to suffer so I could learn compassion. But what has happened is that as a side effect, my heart has grown in ways um, Mm. that I don't know that it otherwise would have. And it's been a really powerful experience. And so the book Mm. is a combination of the stories that I've walked um, alongside of others for 20 years in Kenya, but also with, the lens of my kids and our journey, um, through treatment and just how God has led us through it.
0: Hmm. Wow. There's just so much in your story and everything that you just shared. There's so much I could touch on, but number one, just what an incredible Testament, you know, I love that you're sharing these stories and that you're sharing the truth of what it looks like to go to through intense suffering that, you know, you weren't necessarily, Um, like you said, you weren't necessarily hearing anything big from God, but what you were learning was that he would still be faithful. Even in the midst of that, you were just holding on to what you had. You had a hope in Christ, even though he may have felt a little bit more silent at times, he was still there with you. And I love that you shared that because I think that when we're in the midst of suffering, what people don't recognize is that when you're going through things, you're really going through it. And when you're going through suffering um, and then maybe you're out of that season, you do, like you said, it grows your compassion. It grows your empathy. Um, So many things, you are never the same when you've gone through a difficult situation, um, especially if you look to Christ. Um, And, you know, I love that you shared that and um, I'm so sorry that that happened. are they doing better now? Is your son better now or how are they doing? Yes. So so
1: two of our kids had bone marrow transplants and, um, they're cured of their sickle cell disease. And then we have a third daughter who didn't have a match to be able to do that treatment. And so we're still journeying through that and what might be ahead as far as treatment options. But, you know, I think, um, one of the things that's been really powerful for me, like in, in thinking about all of it is the tension that exists in, I will always be grateful for the ways that God made a way for our kids to have healing. Um, and there's a tension of the trauma and the wounds that were required for that healing to come. And so I think sometimes, um, we want the end story. We want everything to be wrapped up nicely and neatly. And, um, just to be able to tell that without, without there being scars and without there being all of the long, hard, um, nights where there's not a promised outcome always, you know? And so I, I feel, I feel grateful
0: and I feel, um,
1: like it's a long journey. So,
0: mm-hmm. No, I love that you said that. I, it's so correct because I, I remember any time that I've gone through something that was a more difficult season, I've said to myself, I just want to see the end of the story. I don't want to go through this. And, you know, we all want to, I think, avoid pain. But when you look to Jesus, he did not avoid pain. He had to go through the pain just like we do. Um, and he had to go through, you know, the pain and suffering of the cross, right, to get to the story. Now, we're still in the midst of that story. We haven't seen the end of that story yet. But what I love is that, you know, he did not avoid that. And so we can't avoid that either.
1: Well, I think we have a choice. You know, I think mm-hmm. we have a choice to, in the midst of pain, that if we choose to numb, um, or sometimes avoid the pain, then I think what happens is it also eliminates our possibility for joy. So Mm -hmm. I think we have to also hold the tension of like, as much as it hurts, if we don't, if we're not willing to step into that and allow that pain, you know, that, that God can be bigger than that pain, even though in the middle Mm -hmm. of it, all you feel. And maybe you can't see a horizon in any direction, but I think avoiding it or numbing it uh, is one of the ways that like we become less human and that, that it really does like take away our possibility for joy.
0: It's true. It's true. Um, I will ask you going back to your, your book's title is brave love. So what does brave love that statement really mean to you? So I,
1: when I think about the word brave, I think, you know, for many years of my life, I would have thought about like a movie like brave heart where it feels like there's so much courage and, um, that there's no fear, but what brave actually means is a willingness to step into spaces that might feel scary and still being willing to do it. And so I feel like there's an invitation within love, um, to be uncomfortable at times, to be in spaces where it's not certain outcomes, but a trust that God is with you in that. And so, um, one of the things during when my kids were super sick, um, and we were in the hospital for long, long months, um, just the saying came up of love makes us brave and, um, that love is costly, but it's also worth it. And, uh, and I don't say that flippantly or like, it's a cliche. Like it's something that I feel like um, we were, we've been invited to step into and to trust that, you know, it says love is patient and love is kind. And we laugh sometimes cause those are hard things. <laughs> like, do we have to do both at the same time? You know, cause it feels like it's asking a lot, but the truth is that's, that love does ask a lot, you know? Um, but I, I so appreciate that love is greater than fear and that, you know, true love, it casts out fear and the ways that God has led that, um, in our lives as we've been willing to say yes to the things that are in front of us, that we believe are invitations to love, like within our family and within our work, I just experienced, um, I've experienced brave love, that is sometimes really quite scary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yet I've watched God do more than I could ever have asked or imagined. Um, Mm -hmm. And not always in the ways that I would have requested probably, but um, but God Mm -hmm. has been faithful and good Mm -hmm. and can't be anything
0: else than that. Mm -hmm. That's so, that's so, so good. And I think, you know, I do think that sometimes we get the wrong idea, like you said, of love. And because I think that if love is not, um, if it doesn't sometimes make us uncomfortable, then I wonder, you know, are we truly loving someone? Because I was praying this this morning, actually, I was praying that I would be um, a proponent of truth, you know, which I think when I think of truth, I think of love, (laughs) um, you know, um, love is not without telling the truth at times. And, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. And sometimes different people react to how you love them differently. But um, true love, like you said, true love casts out all fear. And so if you're truly loving others, if you're truly loving God, at times it's going to make you uncomfortable. But that's why it's love. (laughs) And I love that. If you look at the life of Jesus, you know, the way that he truly loved people and how he served them and things like that. He was not, he did not necessarily always make people comfortable and that's okay. And we can't be so focused on it always being comfortable for us when it comes to love. And so I love that you shared that. I will ask you, you know, we have a little bit of time left, are there any specific stories that you maybe share in the book? I know you said it's more of an overarching story but is there anything specifically that comes to mind when you think of brave love maybe one of your first experiences where you were thinking I am really going out on a limb here I feel very uncomfortable but here I go Yeah um
1: so one of the stories that, led to us starting um, our nonprofit and the hospice work that we do was uh, two HIV positive malnourished babies who were on the verge of starvation and we had gone to their homes. Um, they were orphans. and as we went into their homes, we really felt compelled like if if something if an intervention other than what we've been doing is not done, um, a dramatic one, then they're not going to live. And so um, we walked away from just these rural homes and sat together. And we, that's the first time I remember us asking, what does it look like to love in like that mm-hmm. question with that question. And um, my friend Allison, who we've worked with together for the whole time that I've been here and her husband, David, um, she, she's probably the most, like methodical of our team. Um, and she, she said, let's try, you know, like she's the planner of us, but she said, let's try. And, and so we had to like flesh out, what does that mean to try? You know, we're not, we weren't doing something outside of our scope or, you know, something that was a trying, like a half hearted attempt. Like what would it mean to create an inpatient treatment center where we could work with pediatricians and, do like the feeding that they needed and the medication that they needed. And, you know, and so we brought those two babies to a one room clinic and just began to feed them day and night. And they were so sick and so malnourished. And, but day by day, we watched life little by little return Mm -hmm. into them. And, um at six weeks, um, baby Felix, who was just about a year old, he actually got super, super sick um and went into respiratory failure. And we sent him to a government hospital that was about an hour away from us, and he passed away within a couple of days. Um, but Flovia, who was two years old, she began to thrive. And within a couple of months, like She was walking and began talking in multiple languages and she called everyone who took care of her mama because we were the ones who were loving her. And it was, I feel like so much of our story of living room is the name of our organization and our hospital, um, I feel like it's not so much about an outcome, but it's the love that we put into it and we trust the outcomes to God. We feel like there's aspects of it that are outside of our control. But what we are asked to do is to love with excellence and compassion and believe that God is in the middle of it and that God has made each of us in his image and has a plan and it's a good plan. And, um, you know, there are days where we really, um, we grieve because of loss and outcomes that we would love to be a different way. But there are also miracles that aren't so much, aren't often the instant, you know, um, Mm. fix, but are more of a slow, gradual watching the power of love bring life back in ways that you can't think you don't think they're possible. And so, I mean, I feel like there are, thousands of stories that we've gotten to live out that are like that, but all of them come back to the person in front of us and the person whose eyes we look into with a name and a story who are also looking back at us and how we see them, how we believe their value, you know, that they're loved by God and worthy of it. Um, how that influences impacts the way that we try to care, and we do it imperfectly, but we trust that love covers a multitude of sins, and we want to do it um, with an integrity and an excellence, and I believe that God has honored that and has brought together a team of 150 of us now who do it every day, you know, day and night, 365 days a year in two campuses and in community, and it's been a powerful,
0: powerful journey. Wow. And, you know, as you were talking and talking about loving people well and serving the Lord, you know, I just was thinking to myself too, you know, that's not only applicable, this is applicable to everyone, right? You know, no matter where we are in the world, you know, we can love people Um, in, you know, asking God that question, you know, how can I love this person? Um, And I think that, you know, we all have different gifts. We have talents and abilities. And like you said, your your friend that you mentioned, I think it was Allison, that she her brain works a certain way. And so she was kind of able to lead that. You know, God has given us all such unique talents and abilities in all 150 people that work for your organization. Um, and it's up to us to ask him, you know, how can I use my gifts to glorify you? And how can I love other people well um, by using these gifts? And so I just love that as you were talking about that, I wanted to encourage people that you don't have to be, you know, in Kenya or doing the specific work that you're doing to make an impact for the Lord. Um, You know, we can be really located anywhere. But it's that question of, Lord, how do you want me to love others well today? Or how do you want me to love this this person in this specific situation um, that really can change our lives as we are serving him and glorifying him and what we're doing every day. And so I just love that you're sharing that. Yeah, it goes across the board. Mm-hmm. Sorry for interrupting.
1: I, I just sure. think the, the opportunity, like you're saying that this is not about a geographical location. There's an mm-hmm. invitation, a command really for all of us to love God and to love our neighbors and wherever we are, you know, that, that remains a constant. Um, and I would add like that I don't only want to use my gifts, but I also want to use my weaknesses because I believe that God can be strong, um, in the places where I may feel weak, I may feel inadequate. And I want to leave room that in those spaces too, and those places within me that, um, God can do things in powerful ways um, or in simple, quiet,
0: um, unexpected ways too. Oh, that's so good. I mean, cause it's often in our weaknesses. I mean, it says in our weakness, he is made strong, but it's often in our weaknesses that we recognize our need for God. Like we never did before. And like you talked about earlier where we can sometimes, in the midst of pain, we threaten to maybe become numb to it instead of really facing the pain that we're going through. or There's wounds or there's scars that come about as a result of pain, because then if we become numb, then we can't really experience the fullness of joy. Um, I think in the same way, if we don't embrace our weaknesses, then we don't really understand our need for God. You know, we understand it differently when we realize, you know, it's humility to recognize I'm not strong in all the ways that I need to be right now so Father, I'm asking that you to work in my weaknesses to bring about your glory and your purposes. But Julie, I do want to ask you before we go, what is your favorite verse? Cause I ask everybody that, and I'm curious, I feel like it's hard to know your favorite verse. Oftentimes people say, you know, that's really difficult to pick, to pick just one, but do you have a favorite verse?
1: Uh. Well, there's probably multiple, but the one that I come back to over and over and over again is Micah 6, 8, um, where he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what is required to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And I feel like as we lean into that, um, what, what we're being invited into, um, of justice, mercy, mercy, and humility, I feel like, uh. I mean, I feel like as you do that, then you experience just a fullness of God, of what in a very imperfect broken world, you can also experience like his goodness and his mercy that is new every day. And mm. that we're invited to be a part of watching God's kingdom come and um and a witness to his goodness.
0: Mm. I love that. And I do have to say, it's it's interesting that you shared that verse because that was my grandfather's favorite verse. So it's like a family verse for us too. So we all love that verse. And I love that you shared that the anniversary, I believe, of his death was recent. So it's really cool that you shared that verse today because um, that's definitely one that our family holds near and dear to our hearts. And like you said, there's just so much in that verse that really does relate to the life of, you know, of, of loving the Lord and being of him. Um, I do want to say to everybody listening, you know, her book, brave love, it is out. I'm going to add a link to where you guys can buy it on here. Cause I actually have the book. I have not read it yet. I apologize to Julie before we joined. <laughs> I had not gotten a chance to read it yet, but I do have her book and I'm very excited to get to read it myself. And so, um, you know, I would encourage you guys to run, don't walk, to get this book. Um, I know that I was extremely encouraged by what you shared with me today, Julie, and um, we'll definitely be praying and thinking of you and your family and your organization the days to come as you guys are doing amazing work there.
1: Thank you so much. Of course.